Thank you for downloading a Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan. Hi, I'm Tim Donnelly. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you could join us today. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. So what's the secret to Christian living? A supernatural bolt of lightning? Alec has a passion for pursuing truth, practicing tolerance, and promoting critical thinking. An author and a speaker, you can find out more about Alec and his resources at www.alexmcclellan.com. Well, the secret to Christian living is no secret. The Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Rome, reminding them what they ought to do. He told them why they should do it. Finally, he told them how. And God doesn't just zap us with a supernatural bolt of lightning. On today's program, Alex shares how modern science adds another layer to first century Bible teaching on God's design for Christian living. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Rome in the first century about Christian living, he did not say, you know what, the answer is you just get zapped with a supernatural bolt of lightning. Instead, he broke it down into two things that are very important. One, reaction. One, reaction. What is our right response to God? And two, reformation. Reformation, that is God's response to us, reforming us and changing us from the inside out. Listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to do with reaction, our right response to God. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. A story came out of World War II about an American pilot of a bomber plane that left the shores of England to go on a mission somewhere over Europe. During that mission, the aircraft was badly damaged, members of the crew badly injured, and the American pilot was doing all he could to gently nurse that plane back home again. As he was trying to do so, suddenly he was struck with fear because he realised in the distance an enemy fighter plane was tracking the bomber, and it was getting closer and closer and closer. It got so close that it could see the damage. It could even see the injured on board. It was close enough to pull the trigger. But instead of firing on the bomber, it turned around and went in the opposite direction, allowing the American pilot to guide that plane safely home, preserving the lives of those on board. That story hit the headlines particularly because 50 years later, they actually got those pilots back together. The American pilot of the bomber and the pilot of the enemy fighter plane. And as these two men got together and swapped stories and spent some time together, the American pilot was so thankful because he had been the beneficiary of the mercy of the pilot of the enemy fighter plane. And when you're the beneficiary of the gift of mercy, you want to respond, you want to express thankfulness. In fact, you wish there was something that you could do, even if there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve the gift of mercy. Well, we know in the Bible, mercy is one of the key themes 
And the more we understand the mercy of God, the more we want to, to do something to express our thanks. Because when you receive the gift of mercy, you have the attitude of gratitude. And Paul's writing about this to Christians in Rome in the first century. He says, in view of God's mercy, you'll have an attitude of gratitude. So what can you do? Say thank you? Absolutely. But even more so, he says there's something else you ought to do. You ought to then give your life as a sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice for God, to be all in, to give all that you have and all that you are, not to earn or deserve what God has done, but just as an expression of thanks to him. And when he used this term living sacrifice in the first century, in some ways that was an oxymoron because a sacrifice was a dead thing, something that you killed as an expression of thankfulness. But here he says you need to be a living sacrifice. You live, but you live as though your life was no longer your own. Your life is given over to God. Now, Paul writes about this and the Christians in Rome might say, well, this is wonderful, you know, because we understand the mercy of God and and we want to live sacrificially for God. But but how do you do it? Well, Romans 12.1 rolls into Romans 12.2, where Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul says to these Christians, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, which means that they had been conforming. You see that naturally we must conform to this world. There's nothing else we can do. What do I mean? Well, think of the words of G.K. Chesterton. He put it so succinctly. Chesterton said, a dead thing has to go with the stream. Only a living thing can go against it. A dead thing has to go with this stream. Only a living thing can go against it. The Bible says before we come to Christ and trust in him, we are not spiritually alive. We are spiritually dead. And so that Jesus came not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And before you are spiritually alive, when you're spiritually dead, you must go with the stream. You have to go with the flow. You have no choice but to conform to the pattern of this world. But that's no longer the case. When, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you become a new creation in Christ. You have a life, a new life supernaturally, which means that your life is different. No longer do you have to conform to the pattern of this world. You're a new creation. And how do you live this out as a new creation? Paul says you're transformed. And part of this work that God does is by renewing your mind. There's a connection between our minds and our behaviour. And while our minds are not identical to our brains, the brains are what God has given us to engage with this world and to interact with the world around us. And as we think thoughts, as we think thoughts, we create neural pathways in our brain. It's fascinating. And the more thoughts that we think, the more pathways we create. Also, the more that we think a particular thought, the stronger that pathway becomes because we reinforce that pathway. And just as we neglect other thoughts, as we don't think those thoughts, 
those pathways begin to uh, fade, almost disappear. And we can see the way that we think and the impact that it has on our brain. So what does that mean, as Paul talks about in the first century, about renewing our minds? Well, he's telling us to think the right thoughts, to create the right kind of neural pathways, and to keep thinking those thoughts, to reinforce those pathways. And the pathways that are developed by thinking the thoughts of the world, the more that we neglect those, shut those out, stop thinking about them, the more those pathways begin to fade. In effect, God has shown us how we can almost rewire our brain. Isn't that amazing? What we can learn from science today and see under the instruction of Paul in the first century. So when Paul writes to Philippians, for example, uh, to the Philippians, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When Paul writes that to the Philippians, he's saying, listen, these are the thoughts that you ought to think. This is like a checklist of thoughts that we ought to think to create the right kind of neural pathways. And as we continue to think these thoughts, reinforcing these pathways, these pathways become established shaping our thinking, shaping our behaviour. And as we steer away from the thoughts of this world, as we shut out some of the thoughts that we don't want to think, know that actually it's having an impact. Because steering away from these thoughts, these pathways, as they are unused, uh, are, are less pronounced and start to fade. And this gives us hope and encouragement to, to Christian living because we can see the way that God has created us while our minds are damaged and get damaged by this world and get wired the wrong way that we can be transformed by renewing our mind by thinking the thoughts that are right and true that come from the word of God I want to leave you with four P's that will be a helpful reminder of this transformation of Christian living, four Ps. The first one is prayer. We look at the life of Jesus, we see that he modelled this. We need to make sure that we're praying and asking for God's help and support. First P is prayer. The second P is power. When you become a Christian, it's not that, you know what, work as hard as you can and do your best. You can't do it. But God in you will do some things that you cannot do which is why he gets the glory for it. You have the power of God at work within you. So the first P is prayer. The second P is power. The third P is people. This process of renewing our mind, this reality of Christian living, Christian living is not to be lived in isolation. You can't do it on your own. You're part of a body of believers and believers work together. They support and encourage one another. You need other people in your life coming alongside you, supporting you and encouraging you as much as you support and encourage others. The first P is prayer. Second P is power. Third P is people. What is the, th the fourth P? Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You have a responsibility before God to make sure that you're getting the right stuff in and trying to restrict, restrict some of the wrong stuff. You know, there's a common sense principle, garbage in, garbage out. We don't want to put the garbage in. 
because then you get the garbage out. Instead, we want to put God's word in so that we can see God's word come out in our behaviour. Christian living has to do with reaction, having the right response to God, reformation. God responds to us by reforming and changing us on the inside so our lives look different on the outside. And how does that happen in Christian living? The four Ps. The power of prayer, the power of God at work in us, the power of people alongside us, and also the power of our personal responsibility to shut out the wrong things, take those steps, to close some of those channels, and make sure we're putting in God's word so that we're making the right kinds of pathways and we're reinforcing them so that we can walk in obedience to Christ. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about Alec and his resources at alexmcclellan.com. That's www.alexmcclellan.com. I'm Tim Donnelly, and thanks for listening to A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan. Thank you.